Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. This usually said was when I was young and I was in trouble. And it was accompanied with Michael, Joseph Michael Ryer. Matt, how old are you? 51. The age cutoff is 50 for the young adult lunch. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name's Joe. Welcome to Saving Grace Church. And if you're watching online, uh, welcome to you as well. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And let's pray before we uh, look at the verses this morning. Lord, thank you for mercy. Thank you for your love revealed in Jesus. Thank you for laughter and joy and friendship. And uh, Lord, we, we thank you that you love to speak to us. And we, we pray that we would hear from you today from your word. You would encourage us. You would encourage every single person in this room and watching online with your love and your care and your, your call on each of our lives. I ask for your help to proclaim your word and ask this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to work through Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. And the title of the message is A King Like No Other. A King Like No Other. I want you to think about your favorite hero, leader. Um, it could be someone who's alive. It could be someone who lived centuries ago. It could be someone who has done noble things, or it could be someone who has uh, achieved incredible athletic or artistic accomplishments. So you got someone, you don't have to say it out loud, but picture someone that you admire, that you like to read books about, you like to watch documentaries about. You like to learn more about them. No matter who that person is, most likely when you think of them, your first and primary thing isn't how they died, isn't centered around their final moments of life. See, when it comes to Jesus, what's interesting about Jesus, there's a thousand things that are interesting but really the culminating event of his life that transcended his teaching, that transcended his miracles, is all centered around his death. He is a king like no other. You think of great leaders and great kings throughout human history, uh, we don't celebrate and focus on their death. It's very different with Jesus, and we're going to see why this morning. So we are in Matthew 16, we're going to start at verse 21, and just to give you a big picture overview, Matthew chapter 1 through chapter 4 verse 16 is the introduction to the book of Matthew. Uh, chapter 4 verse 17 through chapter 16 is really the body of the, the letter of Matthew, the whole book, it's the content, the main content of the letter. It's Jesus' teaching, Jesus' miracles, 
But in verse 21 is a turning point to the end of the book. So for the next 12 chapters, the book is going to come to a close. And it all hinges on verse 21. So I want you to listen as I read verses 21 through 28. So picture a hinge on a door. This is a turning point. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, anyone, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with the angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This morning we're going to see that Jesus is a king like no other. And his kingdom is a kingdom like no other. And the big idea that emerges from these verses is is this. Since Jesus is a king like no other, we must live for him above all else. Since he's a king like no other, he's the most incredible king that ever lived or ever will live. We must live for him above all else. Two main points we're going to see from this passage is we follow a king who died in our place. We follow a king who died in our place. And we follow a king who calls for our absolute allegiance. And we'll see he lived in such a compelling way. It's just natural to respond with allegiance to him. So look back at verse 21 again. We follow a king who died in our place. So this big hinge verse in the book of Matthew, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the Jewish elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now when when we hear about Jesus saying something like, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to rise on the third day. We have a context for that. We have, we have Easter. We, we have the Bible. We, we know how the story unfolds. But I want you to imagine if you didn't know any of that. See, for the disciples, when they're hearing this, this would have been 
shocking to them. This would have been, it wouldn't have fit in their mental category at all. Because remember, if you were here last week or you just look back a little bit, Peter had just declared that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promise anointed king. He just declared it. And Jesus celebrated that declaration. What Peter and the disciples didn't have in mind is that this Messiah was going to be very different. His kingdom was going to be very different. His mission was going to be very different than any other king. See, Jesus says in verse 21, from from that time, Jesus began to show that his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. See, they would have rightly thought, just naturally thought, as Jewish people who have been under Roman occupation, well, if Jesus is our king, there's probably going to be a takeover, and he's going to set up shop in Jerusalem. Just like God said he would. And we don't know this, but we know ourselves, we know human nature. Peter has just begun to be elevated among the disciples. So he's, he's growing in rank very quickly. And it's natural, simply natural, to think of things as your position is changing. And so he might have thought, you know, he might have been having plans for like, okay, I'm like Jesus' right-hand guy. Like there's 12 of us, but he keeps putting me forward. And, and he's going to have a kingdom and probably going to get a lot of food and we're going to have anything we want. And I'm really excited for that, that day. If you remember, two of the disciples, they, they were even talking amongst themselves as brothers like, okay, Jesus, when you're in your kingdom, can, can I be on your right hand and my brother be on your left hand? See, they, they didn't have a context at all for this, these words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. Look at verse 21 again. Here's, here's what it's going to be like. I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and scribes. Not only that, but I'm going to be killed. So he's around 30 years old, give or take a year. It should be the launch of decades of ruling. And he announces to them, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. And then, surprise, surprise, look at the end of verse 21. On the third day, be raised. Now, we we know that's referring to the resurrection. We see that in the Bible. But they just couldn't put it all together. It didn't fit their framework at all. And this is why this first point is we we follow a king who came to die in our place. We follow a king that is like none other. Remember Christmas time. So just go back in time, month and a half or a month, and whether you're a church here or somewhere else or you got a card in the mail, you probably came across this verse. Matthew 1, 21, promise about Jesus. She will bear a son, Mary will have a baby, and you, the angel said, shall call his name Jesus, literally means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. See, Jesus knew 
that the only way he could rescue people was by dying on the cross in our place. He was a king who wasn't fixated on himself. He was a king who was fixated on the mission, which was to live a perfect life of obedience to God the Father and then die on a cross in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve. And then conquering the power of sin and death by rising from the grave. So they're hearing all of this, and it's just not fitting their mental framework. But it is so central to our relationship with the God who made us. Think about this verse in Galatians 2.21. The Apostle Paul writing years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension into heaven. He said, I do not nullify the grace of God. If righteousness were through the law, through obeying, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if there was a way to get right with the God who made you by obedience, then Jesus died for no purpose. But here's the good news for you and I. There was no way. There's no other way to get right with a holy God that we just sang about, who is absolutely perfect in every way. The only way is to have someone who is fully God, fully man, open the way for us. And that's what Jesus came to do. So what that means for you and I is if you have trusted in Jesus, the way is wide open. Whatever sins that haunt you, whatever things that gets lodged in your mind, Jesus paid for every single one of them. So if you are in Christ, you are covered and clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's why Jesus was so fixed on going. Now we heard a little bit about the Apostle Peter this morning of his ups and downs and his struggles with fear. Uh, Peter, he can't help but love. He's so out there when he's having his good days and he's so out there when he's having his bad days. So verse 22, Peter, this is probably, other than denying Christ, this is second to worst day. But remember, he just was commended for declaring Jesus is the Messiah. So he might have been kind of puffed up about it a little bit. I think he was, because look what he does here in verse 22. And Peter took him aside, took Jesus, remember Jesus is fully God, fully man, perfect man, and began to rebuke him. Rebuke him. Correct him. And he took him aside. So this is like if, you have parent, if you're a parent or a grandparent and you take your child aside, like sometimes they do something, you just correct them and you can do it in front of other people. Sometimes it's like, oh no, we, we gotta go out in the hallway. This is a, Peter thought, Jesus, you need to go out in the hallway. We, we got an issue. So he takes him aside to correct him. And here's the correction. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus, remember, you're going to be the king in Jerusalem. We're kicking out all the Romans, and you're going to rule, and you're going to reign. This will never be. May this never be. 
So it's a, an understatement to say Peter overreached a bit. He, he, he missed it by a thousand miles. And Jesus is going to tell him, look, look what happens next. But Jesus, he turned and said to Peter, now remember, just, just a few days earlier, he's like, I'm the lead apostle. Jesus loves me. I'm, I'm set. Get behind me, Satan. This is what Jesus says right to Peter. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Get behind me, Satan. So however big Peter felt, he shrunk. <laughs> he was tiny. And, and the reason Jesus saw it as satanic, the words coming out of his mouth, because if you remember when Jesus was tempted for the 40 days, basically one of the temptations was you can be king without suffering. And so Satan still, you can be king without suffering. And Jesus knew the only way I can be a king that brings all of us in is through suffering, through dying in their place. See, he was mistaken. Peter was mistaken. He was thinking of things from a human perspective. Jesus was seeing things from a divine perspective. It reminds me of, of these verses in Isaiah 55. Isaiah the prophet writes, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that they may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We have a God who will abundantly pardon. The only way the abundant pardon comes is through a king dying in our place. And then Isaiah writes, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways, declares the Lord. For, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. We gotta, we gotta come to terms with that. We can trust the Lord in all things because his ways and his thoughts are far superior to ours. And that's what Jesus' point was as he's having this interaction. Peter, you're, you're trying to understand it from a human perspective. The story's much bigger, much grander, much more glorious than you could ever imagine. Now, think about it, though. We many times throughout our lives look at a circumstance or a situation and think, man, this is terrible. And in, in, in time, it, it is terrible. But there's a God who's over all these things, whose ways are not our ways, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, who is at work in a thousand ways that we couldn't ever imagine. Uh, every year I start a Bible reading program, so I'm, I'm working through 
the the Bible the new Bible program for the year starting January first. And so we just I just got through the story of Joseph in Egypt again, and and you think of Joseph left for dead, left to be forgotten in Egypt, betrayed by his brothers, lied about to uh, his dad by his brothers, then ends up being falsely accused of a crime he did not commit and put in prison. Then he's in prison and he interprets someone's dream and says, just, just remember me. Could you just remember me when you get out? Um, put in a good word for me. And then he gets forgotten. Years go by. He's 30 years old. Oh, I remember there's a guy in prison who can do this. And we don't get much of the description, but we get the description that he was very unkept because he had to get his hair cut. He had to be shaven. He's probably very dirty. And then in a, really in a matter of a short amount of time, he becomes the second most influential person in all of Egypt. And he's used by the Lord himself to preserve God's people, which eventually is the line from which Jesus comes. Well, if you or I were talking to Joseph at any one of those really terrible points in his life, we wouldn't have known the story. We wouldn't have known what the Lord was doing. And Joseph, when his dad dies and his brothers then lie once again, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. They, they conspire, 11 of them. Hey, let's, let's just tell them that our dad put in a good word for us right before he died. And, and, and then Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God sent me way ahead of you. And he used your sinful actions to actually preserve you. See, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And Jesus is a king like no other who came to rescue and to bleed and to die to build a kingdom. Very different than wealth and power and destruction that are often with kings growing and making more influence. Now Jesus calls us as his followers to to pledge our entire allegiance to him. So we follow a king who died in our place. We follow a king who calls for your allegiance, who calls for my allegiance. Look at verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, this is what he told them, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We follow a king who calls for absolute allegiance. Once again, the historical context fills out this verse. Look at verse 24. If anyone would come after me, Jesus is saying, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He just told them that I have to go to Jerusalem because I'm going to die, and I'm going to die on a cross. We, we, we get more detail in the, in the weeks to come here. When a first century Roman or Jewish person would have heard the word cross, they would not have thought of um, 
kind of a deep self-reflection type thing. They would have thought, torture device for criminals and the worst criminals. So once again, Jesus' kingdom, whatever the disciples thought at that moment, boy, is it changing rapidly. Doesn't seem like grapes and prestige and nice clothing. It seems like a call to follow, a call to self-denial, a call to suffer. And the pathway of discipleship is one of profound joy and profound sacrifice at times because we follow a king who paid the ultimate price for us. Let me give you two seemingly contradictory statements that are in the Bible and both true. Salvation is an absolute free gift. So the gift of eternal life is absolutely free. Purchased by Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So if you've trusted in Jesus, you've received that free gift. It's a free gift. Salvation is an absolutely free gift. Okay, you ready for the contradiction? Salvation is costly. It's a free gift, and it's costly. It's free, and it's costly. How do those two work together? Salvation is a free gift that cost the death of Jesus. Fully God, fully man. And we receive that free gift. When we receive that free gift, The Bible says we've been bought with a price. We're no longer ours. We live for the Lord. And so it's this costly call of self-denial and sacrifice. And as Rodney shared this morning, responding to the call, whatever he would call us to do as his sons or daughters, we'll follow. Maybe a loss of reputation. Maybe um, years of hardship. It may be mockery. It may be paying the ultimate price to suffer and die for Jesus. We received a free gift, but there's a call. If anyone would follow me, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever, here's a paradox, whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, Jesus' kingdom, many have said, is an upside-down kingdom. Joy, deep, lasting, satisfying joy, comes from self-denial and following Jesus wherever he would take us. Sorrow and sadness in this world comes from self-indulgence and thinking and being preoccupied with yourself, about yourself at every moment. Hoarding and trying to keep everything to yourself. See, whoever gives all that up actually finds life, finds joy in Jesus. Whoever seeks to, to just grip everything around them as tight as possible might have a lot of stuff in this world, but in the end will be loss and sorrow and, su- and sadness. Look at verse 26. 
again. For what will it profit a man, what will it profit a woman, if she or he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? He's, he's asking this provocative question. What would it profit if you could be the richest, self-indulgent person in all the world, but you turn your back on Jesus, you, you run away from him, you want nothing to do with him, and you want nothing to do with doing good to others? It's an empty life. It's a sad life. It's a life that, that often people on their deathbed who have done that feel it. The remorse, the, the regret, the emptiness, the reality that the richest person in the world, everything they have goes to someone else. Taking nothing with you. Versus someone who has lived this life of costly sacrifice and self-denial to follow Jesus. They are rich relationally. They are rich and vibrant in their relationship with the Lord and with God's people. And if you're ever in, have the privilege of being around those kind of people right before they die, it is very different. There is an expectation. There is a joy. There is an excitement. There is an anticipation that it was so worth it. It was so worth it. And now I'm going to be ushered into God's presence. I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. All of it was worth it. And that's the call. Paul said it this way. Paul, who was Saul, named after the Jewish king Saul, who was a Pharisee, was a very gifted Pharisee, a very accomplished Pharisee as a young man who was growing in rank and prestige um, at a very young age, gave it all up to follow Jesus. And this is what he writes in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. You've been made alive. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, in another place, he says, I, I counted that whole life as rubbish, as garbage, to follow Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to live for Jesus. And did you catch this? This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, the very tail end of 2.20. Paul's awareness of God's love for him was so personal. He said, I've been crucified, I follow him, I live for him, who loved me. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Put your name in there. Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. We're to feel that in a personal way. The problem is you're, you're so aware of what's going on inside of your mind and where you, you wish you would have done more or you should have said something you didn't. If you are in Christ, the starting place is rest in Jesus loves you. He gave himself for you. And then he calls you to follow. Respond to God with the Father with love. Respond to fellow humans 
with love because you have received love. Not in a morbid way, but it it is good to think about your last day. It is good to think about your last day. We, We don't know when our last day will be. Many of us will live to a kind of an average old life, relatively speaking. Some may have their life cut short. If you, if you follow professional sports, there was a coach who, who died this past week or two weeks ago from the Golden State Warriors who was in his mid-40s, had a heart attack at a team dinner. Just, it was over. The reason it's good to think about, like, if that would happen today, can I say that I am following my king? Lord, whatever you want me to do for you, I want to do for you. Here's my money that comes from you. Here's my talents that you have given me. Here's the resources. May I be radically committed to you. And if that's you, you are prepared to meet the Lord face to face. Now, he may give you 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 more years. But if a whole lifetime of following Jesus, and you are sold out to Jesus, you are so well positioned to meet your Lord and Maker. So we follow King who calls for our allegiance And he's a king who promises he's going to return for his people. So he's an eternal king. He's one that lives forever. See, he's a king like no other. Look at verse 27. Jesus is going to take the disciples from this inevitable, I got to go to Jerusalem to be killed, to really the end of time when he returns for his people. So he skipped eons here. Verse 27. For the Son of Man... It's a title for Jesus, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. So he's saying the Son of Man, that's a title for Jesus that Daniel the prophet uses in Daniel chapter 7. He said, one day I'm coming back with the angels in all glory. This is after the disciples and generations of Christians seek to make disciples. And in that culminating event, the king of kings, risen, triumphant, is coming back. His call is to be ready. There will be rewards for those who have lived for Jesus. There will be degrees of rewards. Salvation is a free gift. Rewards at times in the, in the New Testament are going to be by things we, we did for the Lord. That's a confusing subject for you. Welcome to the, the crowd and the club. Um, one of the best resources on that is Anything Written on Heaven by Randy Alcorn. So you can look that up. If you need a free book, just talk to me. But the point is, this king is coming back. We want to be ready for his return. This title, Son of Man, it comes directly from Daniel's prophecy about Jesus. Listen to this. This is Daniel 7, long before Jesus came to earth. 
and writing prophetically about this ultimate day. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancients of days, and he was presented before him. And to him, this king like no other, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, no one, is his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. No one can threaten his kingdom. We serve a king like no other. So that should cause us to give our allegiance to him in our everyday lives. And then the last verse, Jesus is going to go from that final ultimate day to something that's going to happen in the disciples' lifetime. Look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until the Son of Man comes in his kingdom. So he's talking to his disciples. He's saying, before some of you die, you're going to get a taste of this kingdom. So the question is, what's he talking about? There's some debate. Some think it's the transfiguration where Jesus is going to be transfigured. Jason's going to teach on that next week. So that's a, that's a plausible outcome that, that he could be talking about where the curtains pull back a bit and, oh, wow, you are a king like no other. Others believe that this kingdom coming in power is referring to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out and, and they, they get the, the first taste of the power of God through the preaching of Peter as thousands come to know the Lord. You can wrestle through which you think that might be or, or might it be both. But what is clear, it's something that was going to happen while the disciples were still on earth. But let's not get tangled up on that. The big idea is Jesus is a king like no other. And he's calling for your allegiance. He's calling for your heart, your passions, your desires. Maybe today you're realizing, wow, there is a huge gap between my profession about Jesus, the words that come out of my mouth, and my heart's desire to live for him. If that's you, Today's an important day for you. You need to repent. You need to turn. You need to confess. You need to tell the Lord, Lord, my, I'm, I'm so tight-gripped on my life and my plans that they're not, I'm not open to following you wherever you would call me. Would you forgive me? Would you renew my passion and my desire and my allegiance for you? Maybe for some of you, your, your heart just just catches fire. Oh, he is my king. I love him dearly. I want to serve him more and more and more. Pray to the Lord. Lord, give me more days on this earth to do good, to bring you glory, to make much of you. Maybe for some of you, you're kind of like Peter when, when Jesus said, I, I have to die, and it, it makes no sense. Your life is this... this just confusing place right now. For you, your king like no other is filled with compassion and love. You just need to draw near to him. And he will tenderly care for you. 
You can trust him. If you're younger, get to know Christians that have been walking with Jesus for decades. There are, there are many around you in this room. They're going to tell you, you can trust him. He'll be faithful. He'll, he will care for you. He will walk you through whatever you're going through right now. And he will he'll make sure, not only do you make it out the other side, but one day you will be with him in all glory, seeing him face to face. See, Jesus is a king like no other. Who's a king that would die in their place? You do. We do. So he's calling for our allegiance. So let's all stand. I'm going to pray. The band can come up. We're going to respond by singing to our king. Jesus, you are like no other. Filled with power and compassion. Lord, we thank you that you were so resolute to not let anything get in the way of you dying on the cross in our place. Lord, may every believer who's in this room or watching online know your love like the Apostle Paul knew your love for him. May they be able to say, who loved me and gave himself for me. And may your nearness, your compassion, and your care just motivate all of us to follow you wherever you would call us. And Lord, I pray you would speak to us. You would speak to each person of specific plans that you're calling them to give their, their attention and their desires and their resources and their gifts to. I pray that you would receive much glory through our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.